Welcome to episode number 54 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where we're helping academics change the world through online business. This podcast, we're helping you by giving you the tools, the strategies, the tips, the tricks, and the stories that you need to build an online business to change the world and to change your life as well. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have back on the podcast, Cheryl Lau from CherylLau.com. Cheryl, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me back, Chris. I'm really, really happy to be here. So in the last episode, and this is a part two of a two-part series on aligning your research, your business, and your life. In the last episode, we talked with Cheryl about her online journey. As I, I mentioned that episode, we've been talking behind the scenes about her journey, and it was really inspirational to me. I knew it would be inspirational to a lot of the podcast listeners, and that's why we wanted to get on the show. So in the last episode, we talked about how she got started during her undergraduate degree at the University of Toronto. She moved to Hong Kong to do law school there, determined that really wasn't for her, and to the dismay maybe even of, of her family and, and you know some of the people around her decide to make a, a shift and a change there. So she ended up leaving law school and in that journey started to build an online business and build a presence online. We talked about that. What were her first steps? How did she go about getting paid clients? What were some of the things that were involved there? What the role of social media and content creation played really led up to thoughts within her life and where she wanted to go from there. So the sort of ending point from last episode was this transition point. So she has a functioning online business that's quote unquote successful. She's bringing on new clients each month. She's working at a, a position as a, a research assistant through the University of Hong Kong in social work. She's contemplating whether or not she wants to do a PhD. And really that's what this episode is going to be about. Was this transition then looking to and how is she realigning her life today? Um, realigning her research focus so that she can and realigning her online business so that it aligns with what she wants to do with her life. So that's a little bit of the recap of the last episode. The place I want to jump in here is you did end up shutting down, at least for a period of time, your online business. What led to the decision of closing that down? And you can give a brief summary of maybe what that business was for those people that are are tuning in um, for the first time here today. But uh, what led to deciding to close down that business? Sure. So my very first online business was a coaching business for other aspiring early stage entrepreneurs who want to build a, a online business that's based around the personal brand. So essentially, I was working with other early stage entrepreneurs to build their own businesses and help them with their branding, content creation, social media and marketing. But, you know, even though I really thoroughly enjoyed my business journey, Something inside me told me that I, the audience, I wanted to work with an even more specific audience who I could relate to better. And I think that's when I felt a bit of misalignment because even though I was having a really great time working with clients and really enjoying the entire business journey and the process, I felt like something could be even more aligned. And that's, and also at the same time, it was graduate school application season. And that's when I figured, okay, maybe I can take a little break to reflect on the past year and re-strategize and plan out what my next steps are in my career. So that's when I actually took a couple of months off from my business to not only work on some graduate school applications, but also to reflect on my business journey and what are my next steps in my business journey. Yeah. And just in case people are curious about this, or maybe they're even at the stage, what did closing down your business look like? Did you just let the contracts run out for the clients you have and turn off your website or what was that process? Right. So actually, um, I for the clients that I was working with at the time, we wrapped up our sessions behind the scenes. But for a lot of my online content, I felt like it was no longer 
fitting to my brand or where I wanted to head into my career next because my my first business, the name was actually called The Quarter Life Project and it was basically centered around my quarter life crisis. Um, and the reason I named it The Quarter Life Project was because I wanted to help other millennials like myself to start their own online business and pretty much overcome their own quarter life crisis. But you know, backtrack to late 2019, I felt like that name and that brand no longer reflected where I want to take my own career or business. So I actually ended up just letting a lot of the um, the tech and tools. So for example, the website and things like that just roll over and expire. But in terms of clients, we wrapped up our sessions and and yeah, so now I actually restarted my business with a new brand and new name. And essentially what I do now is I help other early stage researchers to build their own personal brands and feel more confident showing up online and become an emergent and up and coming thought leader and create really value packed content so that they can confidently contribute to your space. And for those who are applying to graduate school to help them also confidently differentiate themselves and hopefully get to grad school. Yeah, I love it. So was there a gap between when you shut down that business and then your um, sharealow.com and, and what you're growing there? Right. So there was a couple of months between the quarterlifeproject.com and the now sharealow.com. I believe it was about four or five months during that gap. But during that time, I spent it on my graduate school applications and a lot of self-reflection on what's next for me. And so what is next? for you then? What other elements? I mean, your online business is there. Is there other stuff going on that you're looking at? Right. So what is happening next is I actually recently received an offer to a PhD program in social work. And I am most like, I'm still in the decision-making process because I actually only applied to I'm embarrassed to say, but I only applied to one program because I was a little late into the application process. I was very focused on my business at the time, but then I realized, well, something is a little off. Something doesn't feel completely aligned. And i that's when the hiatus for my business took place. And that's also when I decided, okay, I should probably get onto those applications. So I actually only ended up applying to one, or one graduate school program um, in the end. And I recently received an offer to that program. Um, I'm still deciding whether to set, to set the offer or not, but it's very likely a yes. And I'm excited. I'm excited to be pursuing my PhD in social work. I think that it's been a long time coming because throughout my undergraduate years, I was doing a number of research assistant positions um, and a number of disciplines. So that includes psychology, social work, and even healthcare slash medical disciplines. So I think the the four month or four or five month hiatus in between the previous business and the current business was a ideal time for me to really self-reflect on my own career goals and how to align my business with my career goals. And so that's how the pivot towards the, this pivot from helping early stage entrepreneurs to helping early stage researchers came about because I realized I really, really see myself as a researcher eventually, or at least as an, in the educator space, in the higher education, in the research academic space. And that's why I felt that it felt better. It felt like the right fit to work with other early stage entrepreneurs like myself, who might be a few steps behind me and help them develop their own brand and to just show up with confidence and just, just start putting themselves out there and sharing their thoughts and developing their skills or communication skills or confidence and and ultimately start differentiating themselves on and offline. I mean that's what we're about, right? That's the the whole point of, <laughs> of grab vloggers that one is is possible and two is encouraged and three, there's people out there to help you do it. <laughs> like Cheryl and like myself. So it's 
becoming a thought leader in your field will help you find a job. Becoming a thought leader in your field will help you get the tenure track. It will help you on grant applications. It will help you start your own businesses. That's the route you're, you're planning on going down. It will just help you. And and we talked about this in the last episode, who am I to dot, 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 and fill in the blank and, and how people really struggle with that, myself and, and Cheryl included, um, in different aspects of it. Um, so who am I to become a thought leader? Well, maybe, you know, put that one aside and do some mental work on that. But the the point I want to make is that it is possible if you're willing to start creating content, starting to put yourself out there online. And I want, so I want to, I want to bring out, I want to break it out into two pieces here. So really moving forward, you have this new brand, um, CherylLau.com that's helping early stage entrepreneurs and academics. I guess it's moving from early stage entrepreneurs and, and niching more into academics. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Or researchers is the, is the, maybe the better word. And then maybe pursuing a PhD in social work. And I want to dig into the social work aspect of it because I think that really shares some of this alignment with your your life. Was social work something you were interested in back when you were in applying for law school? Or how did that become sort of a passion and a potential research direction for you? Yeah, so I definitely had interest in social work. Or more specifically, I had interests in certain issues that were related to the social work discipline. And I think that's really what led me to want to pursue a career in research and academia is because there, there were a number of issues or topics or areas that I felt really drawn towards throughout my university years, my high school years. And then during university, I I realized, oh, there's such thing as research. And that's when I started working as a research assistant. And then later on, right now, I'm currently a full-time research assistant. And soon to be a PhD student in research. But the process, the, the what led to where I am today is the few issues that I was really drawn towards throughout pretty much the majority of my life. And that, that issue is, I, I'm really curious or at least interested in helping young adults in particular achieve optimal mental psychological well-being and I, I'm really interested in the development of culturally competent mental health services. And more specifically now, as I've explored the online space even more, I'm also interested in how social media and digital technologies can affect mental health. And so when I actually sat down recently in the past couple of months and thought about, is graduate school right for me? I knew that if I wanted to learn more about these issues and topics and specialize in it and essentially produce more knowledge and create practical applications using this knowledge, graduate school made a lot of sense for me. Yeah, I love that. And I just highlight here in my own notes, researcher in, in quotes. I mean, I, I did the academic research where I was, I had a, um, I did a, a PhD in that, but I still consider myself a researcher and I actually have a whole, a whole division of my company at Dust Safety Science is is research and I still work with universities on undergraduate projects and graduate student projects. So there is this kind of this this new wave of being a researcher in a different way and the impact you can have as a researcher if you do work outside the system. And I and I think you're 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 doing both really. You're potentially going back and looking at your PhD or that's an option, something that you're looking at doing. Um, but you've also have this, you know, building things out outside of that. I just want to say to the, the listener this, that there is this whole new genre of, you know, the researcher that's not in in academia. And I, I, I'm playing that role with my business, Dust Safety Science. I, I love it because it means I don't have to fill out grant applications. <laughs> um, 
I mean, if we have a business that's running um, in terms of generating revenue and profit, then we take a slice of that profit and put it back into um, supporting research, putting it back into supporting undergraduate students and graduate students, put it back into research projects. So I'm actually building my own sort of mini research vehicle to do the the research I want to do. And that's just something I, I hadn't, it's starting to come out a bit now, I'd say just the last one or two or three years. But it's a really powerful thing about building an online business as a researcher, as an academic, that you can start to choose. And even if, if like you're saying, even if you do go back and do a PhD in in social welfare, the tool set that you have is just so much more diverse than a typical PhD student that I'm, I would not be surprised if uh, you, you did very well there and also did things in a, in a way that wasn't, say, typical of a, of a program. I could see you maybe sharing your research out in, you know, in non-traditional formats and, and non-traditional ways. And I, I'm excited for that. Do you see that where, where a researcher today isn't this person that's necessarily in a lab with a um, white coat on or isn't in the ivory tower studying through a book? Are there, are there other types of research out there? I, I do. I, I really agree that. Um, I really do believe that, you know, the field academia is it's, it's still very traditional and rigid, but I think the the newer early stage researchers now who are entering academia are, there's a shift going on. And I think, for example, now with the emergence of social media, for example, a lot more people are more open to using social media to disseminate their work and to discuss their research and to even learn about other disciplines out there. And I think, for example, even just tools such as social media to just network and discuss and share, even that's creating a shift in what academic research and and research in general looks like. And I think with all these advancements in technology, a lot of things in our world are changing. Even career traditional careers such as academia are really shifting towards a new age or a new wave of um, I'm not sure what the right term to phrase it is, but there's a shift happening. And I think that it's a it's definitely an opportunity opportunity for early stage researchers to capitalize on because after all, these tools and technologies are free to use. And I think that even for people who are more established in their fields, they risk getting left behind if they don't take advantage of these tools of putting yourself out there and sharing your work and networking on and offline. Whereas the newer up and coming researchers are taking advantage of the tools and they're really making a name for themselves, even though they might not have the same amount of years of experience as the more established researcher or academic, but they're out here making an even bigger impact simply because they're willing to put themselves out there and make a name for themselves that way. Yeah, I'll give a, I want to I want to go two directions. So one one I'll I'll just give a specific example. Last year I I contributed a book chapter to a new textbook in my field, uh, Methods and Chemical Process Safety, Volume Three on Dust Explosions, and that was I I did that less than twelve months after defending my PhD or defending my my thesis successfully. That just wouldn't even have been thought of or possibility had I not built a reputation for myself in this space beforehand. You don't, you don't hear somebody finishing their PhD and then, and then being a, a chapter author on a, on a book chapter. Now there's some timing things there that came out and just happened to be the right time. And, and another author had dropped out and I agreed that I could do what everyone else did in 12 months in one month <laughs> and, and some other timing things there, but I wouldn't even have been asked had I not established that, that uh, process. So that's just like a specific example of how building your personal brand can play out in, in a academic way, but in a non-traditional path. And there is a question there that you may get from the the more senior academics that is like, well, that's, you know, that's a, that's a cop out or, well, let's go right back to who am I to? So who are you to, 
um, to to publish a book chapter in a in a leading textbook in the field. And I would I would question, and this goes back to a conversation I had with Dr. Ampson back in episode fifty one and fifty of the podcast, where through as educators really moving from from this model of from the deficit model. So from we just 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 convince people that this information is out there and they would just know and that they would change their ways. So think of global warming or vaccinations or you know any host of things. And that's just not true. It's 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 more true that you need to really build a community and have engagement and get buy-in um, in order to move that type of information forward and to make that movement in the world. Um, and that's the kind of thing that you're doing as somebody out there sharing on social media, somebody out there creating actual communities, creating engagement. You're moving away from the steps and model, in my opinion, to one where it's more about getting a bottom-up approach to how do you solve these problems at, at a larger scale. So I think there's you know both. There's real examples that come out of this, and there's also, for those that are theoretical about it and want to say, you know, a researcher posting on, on social media is, is not uh, real research or something, I, I, they're going to be left in the dust. <laughs> they're going to be eaten up by, by us that are scared to share ourselves online. So any, yeah, anything comes out of that. I mean, that's a, that's a big topic. It's something I hadn't prepped you for, but I think what you're doing with, with branding online and what I'm doing with building business online and putting systems in place to have a profitable business to feed back in so you can create the research you want in the world. These are the new ways that, that researchers and academics can influence the world. And have you seen that from your, your work with other um, clients in your space as well? You know, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned this topic because very recently, I believe about two weeks ago, I actually posted a Twitter poll on Twitter because I was curious about what the academic academic Twitter um, audience thinks about personal branding. And that poll got retweeted by a very large account. So that's why it accumulated, I believe, almost 1,500 votes. And the question that I posed to academic Twitter or the audience in the academic space on Twitter was, what do academics or researchers or graduate students think of personal branding? And it was very fascinating to see the poll results, which was a hard 50-50 split. The 50% was, yes, personal branding is relevant and it's important to me in my career. And the other 50% was, personal branding is tacky, it's self-promotional, and it's fluffy. But what was even more interesting were the comments section of the poll. And when I scrolled through the comments underneath the poll, it was very interesting to see that there were a key, um, a few keywords that came up. And I, if I recall correctly, some of the keywords that came up, or at least were important to people, were number one: Are you using personal branding as a way to cover up your poor quality of work? And number two is, are you being authentic or are you faking your way to success? And, oh, and, and the third key theme that I felt came up through the comment section was personal branding needs to be very subtle or else it will turn people off. So those were very interesting comments or themes that I noticed through the comment section of that poll. But I, I really felt that it related to what you just shared because, um, I obviously, I don't know the specific demographics of who voted which answer and who commented which comments, but it was still very fascinating to see that there is a hard 50-50 split amongst the 1,500 votes on that poll. Yeah, it's really interesting. And even the specific things, you know, covering up poor work, being inauthentic, and oh, that needs to be subtle. Um, and I'll share, so I'll share an example of this. So I ran an online conference in um, 
of February of 2020. So just a, a month ago at the time recording this episode. And my first page, like my first sales page, you want to call it a landing page or event page, I tried to mimic what academic conferences look like. And it was text-based. I thought that's what my audience would like to see because that's what they're used to seeing. Um, that's kind of like this thing, like it needs to be subtle in order to work. Um, turns out to that page, and we cover this in previous episodes of the podcast, uh, 44 and 45, and we'll cover future ones as well in the Marketing Your Online Conference series. That page sucked. <laughs> it didn't convert at all, which meant people didn't come to the conference, meant people didn't learn, which meant people, you know, we didn't have the impact with the event that we would have had otherwise. So I did a whole flip, said, okay, well, let's get rid of the subtlety thing. Let's do what actually is selling an online marketing. So I did a, a two-video sales sequence page with um, identifying objections and, and erasing them and identifying problems that could be addressed through the conference and did, you know, spend a lot of time putting it together a real nice sales page. I think converted, you know, almost a hundred times better than the old page. And which meant that I got a collection of 250 people together from around the world, from I think uh, 28 different countries to talk about the, the subject of dust pollution, spread that knowledge and spread that learning. So I want to bring all back to this, this concept of it should be subtle. Says who? <laughs> I mean, says the person who, who does it subtly and is scared to put themselves out there, right? <laughs> um, the, the sales page, the first, the subtle sales page, you will, that I did that was like everyone else's conference page would not have affected change in the world. Would not have affected change in the world. The good sales page I did, which I, I shot here in my office, which some, I think I shared some pictures online, but with some crazy setup of webcams and, and computers on chairs and stuff. So I get the lighting right on my coach. It was not subtle. It was more like we'd see in a standard online business sales page and it converted much better. And I was able to actually make change in the world. And there's people in that community now that are, that are solving their problems, um, making their facilities safer and, and I hope saving lives because I wasn't scared to, to not be too subtle about it. So that if you, you can't see my stance on that one, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. It's only the people that are scared to, to not be subtle might would say that, but there's also an indicate that uh, if you're willing to put yourself out there, you'll make bigger change in the world. Covering up poor on poor work and inauthentic. I mean, that's those I think are real concerns, and I think that's going to be an area of study moving forward. A lot is, um, I mean, who who wins? The person who can market better or the person with the better ideas? Every time it's going to be the person who markets better. So we're going to need the person, the people that are good at marketing, to partner with and do right by the the, the research <laughs> you know the poor the work needs to be good and marketed well and that's where we see things like psycom and that coming in and i think it's starting to do it i think we're still you know a, a, a ways away from that but i think that it has to be good work and it has to be marketed right or else it won't have an impact on the world yeah definitely and that's how i personally view personal branding as a concept uh, because there's so many different interpretations and definitions of personal branding but to me when I when I kind of dissect it in my own way I feel that personal branding can be broken down into three things so number one is your reputation number two is the relationships that you have of others in your field and number three is the quality and integrity of your work so that's why I really resonated with what you just said is that yes marketing is important but the work should be good as well, because if you're marketing bad work, that's really bad for your brand or reputation as a researcher or whatever you're doing in your business or career. 
Yeah, let's talk through that a bit. I mean, that's where your new your direction of your online business is today. So we talked about where your research is heading and, and maybe even zoomed out a bit to where research in, in general is heading. But on your business today in, in personal branding with researchers, what are some things that they need to be thinking about there in order to to do some of these things that we're saying? Hmm, that's a great question. I think the first one one thing to remember for anyone who's starting to build a personal brand is to remember that personal branding is not about faking your way to success or lying about your credentials or experiences. And it's definitely not about making others think that you're more successful than you actually are. But from what I've observed is that if you just focus on just giving value, and I know this is a very broad and general term, giving value, but I really do believe that if you just focus on giving the best value value you can through your work or content or message, then the integrity piece is in place and someone out there is going to benefit from your work. And I think um, one thing you mentioned earlier is if you're, for, for lack of a better word, if you're very vanilla or very bland in your messaging, people won't resonate with that. So just share your honest opinion and your honest experiences because that's what people will probably resonate with the most than if you were to, to just regurgitate what other people are saying and be very bland in your messaging. And just remember that if you're focused on just giving the best value you can and being honest and have integrity in what you're sharing, I think that that's how one develops a really powerful personal brand. And I think that's the first... I would say that's the first step or first key piece that people should have in place when building a brand or business. Yeah, I love that. And also the giving value is is something that uh, you, you've kind of said it's it's overused to the point where nobody really knows what it means anymore. But my definition is you get you get a result for somebody. You you move the needle on whatever it is. So if I'm if I can't figure out how to turn on my digital camera, I go to YouTube and somebody tells me how to turn on my digital camera. That was a result that was giving value. <laughs> they moved the needle. Um, if I don't know a scientific concept and I find somebody's blog and they explain it really well, that's giving value because I've got the result. I don't now, now know that scientific concept. So if you're ever stuck and you can't, as, as a listener, if you're stuck and you can't figure out what giving value means, I mean, I think of it as, as getting a good result for somebody um, and kind of use that lens to color what that what that means. And my first year online, I actually tried to quantify it. I tried to give $500,000 worth of value to the world. You know, like I, I would, you know, like a good, uh, well, you mentioned your poll. So that poll, what value is that? Maybe it's like one cent a person. So 1,500 people did it. So, you know, that was $15 of value you created in that poll. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually went through everything I did in the year and tried to quantify. And I came up with a number of, I missed my goal. I was like $220,000 of, of value I created. But I've, I've now used a different term. It's just, can you get results? Because um, it's it's a little bit easier, right? If, if somebody you know, got a client for $500 based on what you told them, well, you, you created value. You actually created in a monetary way. Um, if somebody feels more, you know, mostly secure about themselves, you've also created value. You've got them a result. Um, but it's, it is harder to measure in, in those cases. And maybe we don't even want to try to make those, you know, a, 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 what is the value of a, of a healthy state of mind in monetary dollars? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so, I mean, getting value is the point that I wanted to use there, but you used the key word, getting people to engage. I mean, that's the key. If you're not doing that, you, and that's also the hard part too, but getting people to engage in what you're doing, engage in your message and see themselves in it. That's the, that's the thing that academics haven't been doing for the last 50 or hundred years. <laughs> you know, we, we create this information, we publish it in scientific journals and it's locked up and nobody sees it. And then when things go wrong, we complain that we've been saying this for years. 
well, it's because we didn't get that engagement from people from square one. So do you have some tips on from personal branding perspective, how to get people to engage with your brand, engage with your message um, and the work that you're putting out there? Hmm. Okay. So I think for anyone who wants to build a personal brand and really wants to make an impact through their work, I think that whatever that looks like, whether you're a thought leader or an influencer, an expert researcher, authority figure, whatever your area of expertise is, I think it's important to not just leverage or rely on your qualifications, but rather remember that people need to have that sense of know, like, and trust with you in order to appreciate, to understand the value that you bring through your work. And I think that's where personal branding, that's the beauty of personal branding is that it really helps you to, it's a concept at the end of the day, but the concept and the process of building your personal brand is what can help you to remember that it's not just your qualifications, your credentials, your experiences, your CV that matters, but it's also about, can you build that connection with your audience and show them that you are here to give value to them and that your work is good and your work is done in integrity and can bring value to them. And I think that's a, I guess, a mindset shift that really needs to happen for anyone who is building a brand and to remember not to just rely on your CV or your credentials, but really remember how can you show up and develop develop a real genuine connection with them. And to do that, I think some tips that I might have is just to remember that something that we alluded to earlier is to, if you have an opinion and if it's polarizing, depending on the context and the amount of professionalism you want to maintain, is to just share that opinion, even if it's polarizing. And I think that's a very common marketing principle that we hear time and time again in the online entrepreneur or marketing space is to share or to be polarizing. And I think that um, when we apply that concept from the marketing world to the academic space or the research space, I think that it's important to remember that if you have an opinion and if you have a particular stance on a particular issue, whether that's related to your science or research or whatever issue it is, to share that. But obviously, in accordance to your personality, to your language, to your style, and try not to offend anyone. And in, 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 I guess in a discriminatory way, try not to be discriminating. Obviously, please don't be discriminating in your words. But if you have an opinion or a stance, then share that. Because that's what, at the end of the day, will draw an audience to you. Because we, we hear time and time again that if you're just very neutral or vanilla in your message, people won't resonate with that. They might just hear your message and go, hmm, okay, that's nice, but they won't really think anything of it. But if you just share your honest and truthful message about a topic or issue, then, and, and just being authentic about it, just being honest and open about it, I think that's really what will draw people to you. Because even if we're meeting someone for the first time, for example, the people who remain in their memory the most, the people who leave the strongest impression are really the people who are just themselves and are comfortable with that. So I think that's a tip or advice I might have for someone who is considering building their personal brands. Yeah, I love it. And you probably heard me just do it there not too long ago about some of my personal opinions on um, academics and engagement and that sort of stuff and the role that, that we play as online entrepreneurs and online researchers in that space mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah have a message don't be vanilla i think those are really important things and can't stress them enough so we talked a bit about your your research life and where that's heading we've talked about your business life and, and where that's heading on the business side for those that are that are running an online business talk a bit about what have you learned in your your previous business the quarter life project what have you learned in that business that you're applying to your your new one today at cherylau.com Hmm, that's a great question. Okay, so 
if I had to summarize the key takeaways that I got from my first business and how I'm applying those to my current business, I would say that one of the first things is, honestly, it comes down to a few mindset shifts because honestly, when it comes to running an online business, the strategies are all the same. For me, the strategies to building an online business is to number one, create content that that helps people or educates or gives value. Number two is to build relationships and to really nurture those relationships so that when you have something to offer them, whether it's a product or service, people are warmed up and people are excited to hear from you and excited to buy from you because you've already established that sense of no like and trust. So for me, the strategies behind running an online business, especially a service-based, personal brand-based business are quite straightforward. But for me, what is even more important than the business strategies or the marketing strategies is the mindset that goes behind executing those strategies. And I think one of the key things that really helped me back then and what's going to help me moving forward is, can I stay in my own lane? And what I mean by staying in your own lane is the people who stand out in their business or their personal brands are not concerned of what other people are doing, but rather they're concerned of what can they do now? What can they do for their audience? And what can they do to just give value to the people and to push their business forward? And they're, they're focused on pushing their business forward and doing things on their own terms and honing in on their craft and sharing things that other people aren't willing to share. They're doing things that other people aren't willing to do and they're taking the risks and they're not staying safe. And essentially they're just paving their own path. And this idea of just not being concerned of what others people what others are doing and standing out through that way because you're so focused on just making an impact, I think that's a concept or at least a mindset or frame of mind that I really try really hard to remember day in day and day because especially in the day in this day and age of social media, when we just go online, it's so easy to be bombarded with other people's achievements or their work and their projects. And it's really easy to feel insecure about our own work and to start comparing our work in progress with other people's work. So that's why I really believe that if you can embody this idea of just staying in your own lane and just focusing on making an impact in your niche with your audience and just nurturing your audience, I think that that's what will help drive any business forward because the business strategy and tips are pretty standard in my opinion, I think that all comes down to creating content, building relationships, and um, creating an offer that your audience, your specific audience actually wants. I think those are the three key takeaways in terms of the business side. But in terms of the mindset side of things, I think that staying in your own lane is super, super important. And I guess just to add on one more a piece of advice is to just take fast and messy action because those people who just implement and get things done and start getting results for themselves and for others, they're the ones who are more likely to see success faster. And I think one thing to also remember is that we all start from stage zero. We all start with zero engagement, zero followers, and zero impact. So that's why it's important to just put in the work and just start taking fast, messy action and to start getting results as quickly as possible. Because if you aren't you can't get good at your craft if you aren't doing anything about it. So I think just to summarize, I think that the three key business takeaways or tips I have is to number one, focus on creating valuable content. And number two is to focus on building relationships with your audience. And number three, once you have those two in place is to put out an offer or a service that your specific audience actually wants and needs from you and are willing to pay for. And 
in terms of the mindset side of things, number one is to stay in your own lane and just focus on giving the best value you can give to your audience and to make an impact. And number two is to just take fast, messy action because once again, you really just can't get good at your business. You can't make your business grow unless you take the action and get results for yourself and for other people. Yeah, I love that. And I think I couldn't agree more with a lot of those points. And I would add, as you scale and grow, so maybe a you know a, a thousand dollar a month business and a, a you know it's going to be different than a ten thousand dollar a month business. It's going to be different than a a fifty thousand dollar a month business. And a lot of those things I think are really important and actually critically important at the early stages because you will not have success if you don't take some action. <laughs> um, you will not have success if you don't um, you know create content and focus on building relationships, help people. I would add that there are you know, systems that need to come in and, and business systems and identifying the the weak points in your your actual, your your business itself as you build and, and grow. Otherwise, you can end up in a situation where you're binding as you try to get to, you know, $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year, grow a team to four or five people. Taking fast and messy action might put the risk at that, might put that team at risk. So you start to actually think about things differently in terms of responsibility as you grow your team as you grow your your business and create more business divisions. But I think those are critically important when you're getting started. And you you use stay in your own lane. I, I like, uh, you know, find what makes you unique and then really focus on that. What happens to make me unique is my, my focus to actually building a um, sustainable set of business systems that are going to bring you to the long haul so you can get to those mile markers where you're making 50,000 a year, 100,000 a year, 200,000 a year. At those points, you really need to start looking at things like I, I mentioned last episode. Is your train on the right track? Are you headed to the right station? Are you you know, putting the right systems in place? Those are sort of like level two or level three things that you need to think about as well. But in terms of how I got started, it's exactly how you described it. <laughs> you know, I created content, I was I built relationships and I offered, I made offers to to people in my space. And I did move fast and messy and all that sort of stuff. I so I didn't want to put a I did want to put a, a note there that that needs to change eventually. Like I now that I have a team of, of two about two full time people and um, four or five contractors on different things, I I I have to actually be a little more aware about what kind of fast and messy action I take and, and the role that might play in their lives if they lose lose their jobs because I did something. Um, so there is like a, a, a level of building out those businesses I just wanted to, wanted to make a note about. But I think it's important. So you don't do what you've said, then you won't get to the point where you need business systems because you won't have a business at the end of the day. Um, anything there? I mean, have how in terms of your business and I didn't really prep you for this but it kind of parlays from what I was discussing where you're at in your stage are you looking a lot of your business systems trying to identify how you do what you do or are you working with a team where where are things at and, and that's that stage of uh of sharealow.com Mm-hmm. So because I did restart with a new audience and essentially a new niche I am essentially back at where I was the same business model and same level I was at previously. Um, so I am still a solopreneur, I guess you could say. Hopefully, eventually, I do want to scale to a digital product model. So whether that is a ebook or workbook or a digital course, um, ideally, it would be a digital course. I really would like to move my business from a one-on-one coaching model to the digital passive income product model. 
And so that's what I'm looking at right now. But right now, I'm not at a point where I'm going to hire on a team member yet. Um, I am still at the solopreneur stage, but I'm very happy and very excited to just grow this business and see where it goes. Because who knows? Maybe I will hire someone very soon. Yeah. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? And it's your your online business has, as we discussed in these last two episodes, <laughs> you know, as as has played a role in this aligning of your business and your life and your research direction. Um, and all those things can be achieved from running a solopreneur business. And that's the whole point. I mean, that's, that's how I got to the point where I was scaling a team was that I started by, by running the solopreneur business. You can make a lot of meaningful change doing that. And, and you may, I don't want to make it sound like people have to start a business, but I didn't want to point a point in there that there was, if you're starting, if you're, want to scale to um, different levels, then you may need to look at business systems that are put in there. Um, and I definitely wasn't discrediting anything that you're doing because you're doing an amazing job with building your business and with that. So I would you know, encourage people to to take those those tips and and use them to build their online business as well. So I think in terms of closing up this episode, we've really been talking about alignment of your your research direction, alignment of your business, alignment of your life, and talking through Cheryl's journey, which you know, as I mentioned several times, is really inspirational to to me. I hope it's been really inspirational to the audience. What kind of recommendations do you have for others that you know are are in their research now and they're maybe think about starting an online business? They're running. I think this is actually a really important one for your journey. They're running an online business and they feel like it's not in alignment with what they want to do in their life. I think that's a really good one because that's you've done that. You've you've done a pivot. And a reset, and it's hard to find a lot of people that have done that. So, I mean, that's one we'll leave. What what recommendations do you have for people that are running a business and they're thinking, well, it's successful in terms of generating a profit, but um, I just don't, you know, I want to do a pivot or something. How should they go about changing that and realigning their business with their life and the research that they want? That's a great question. Um, I think a piece of advice that I've taken from a very famous or popular entrepreneur, uh, you may know him as Gary Vaynerchuk or Gary V. A, a phrase that he always says a lot is, especially his when he speaks to a younger audience, he tells people that you are still young and you have many more years to go. And that that concept, the fact that we still have many more years to go in our career journey, in our life journey, um, especially for those who are in the fairly early stages of their career, we have a lot of time left. And if it doesn't feel necessarily in alignment, then maybe it's time to take a step back and assess it. Is it something that you could see yourself pursuing for a good while for the next 10 years, five years? Or is it something that you don't want to pursue for any longer than the next few months? So I think that's a question that you need to ask yourself and whether a pivot is necessary right now. And I think the hardest part to any pivot is it's just making, it's just accepting that you want to pivot because a lot of times we are currently in a phase where things are going well, but things doesn't feel right. And I think the hardest part to that scenario is just admitting to yourself that there's a misalignment. And if there's a misalignment, it takes a lot. It's important to remember that we still have a lot of time left in our journey. And if we want to continue this many years later down this line, doing the same thing, then that's fine. But if you realize that you don't want to continue the same thing for the next however many years, then it may be the right time to consider a pivot in your business, your career, or whatever life journey you're on. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it's 
it's really important to think about that. And I I've, I've, think I said earlier in the last podcast episode, but make sure you're the train you're on is heading to the station you want to go to. <laughs> make sure the business you're building is is one that's going to support and enable the life you want. I mean, if you're if you're building a business that requires you to sit in the back of a taxi and shoot social videos for uh, 14 hours a day, <laughs> then and, and you only want to work 10 hours a day, well then... Uh, you know, there's something that's going to be out of alignment there, and you're gonna you're gonna have this crossover period where it, it's not going to work anymore. So, um, at some points, you may need to go, you may need to you know do things that you don't want to do to align with your life to grow your business. But you always want to be checking in mentally, saying, okay, well, is this business going where I want to go, and and are my days and my my life and my relationships going to be where they where I want them to be in six months from now, or a year from now, or two years from now? And if they're not, then that's a great time to say, okay, well, let's reassess and see where things are at. And yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your your story of this whole you know process, uh, a multi year process of figuring out who who is Cheryl Lau from the the quarter life theory, <laughs> the quarter life project rather through to um, what you're doing today with personal branding. I, I think it's really important. I think it's really um, hopefully inspirational for the audience as well. So. Thank you for coming on the podcast um, again for a second time. I, I think this might not be your last time on the podcast. We'll probably get you on again in the future. And I just want to say, finish by just saying a big thank you for coming on and thank you for the work that you're doing. No, thank you, Chris. This was really fun. And I had a great time chatting with you and with your audience. Awesome. So if somebody wants to figure out more about you, where's the best place for them to go to, uh, to find your work? All right. So I am most active on Instagram right now. So you can find me on Instagram at Cheryl Theory, or you can also check out my website, which is CherylLau.com. Awesome. And that's C-H-E-R-Y-L-L-A-U.com. That is correct. Cheryl, thanks again. And I look forward to talking again soon. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Cheryl Lau, and we've been talking about this journey of aligning your research, aligning your business, aligning with the life that you want and through Cheryl's journey about um, moving from undergraduate to law school, um, leaving law school, and starting an online business, you know, being quote unquote with uh, air quotes successful there, um, having a profitable business with clients, deciding that wasn't really the path that she wanted, um, and and turn and shutting that business down, and then sort of the rebirth and where she's at today and, and building out her new online business, CherylLau.com, also considering going down the research path and, and doing a PhD in social work. So we hit on a lot of important topics here over the last two episodes and a lot of important themes have come out and a lot of important learnings have come out. I think it's going to help you grow your business and hopefully grow your life and you know have a more aligned feeling with all of that. So as always, you can get the transcripts of this episode at grablawyer.com slash 54. We put together a nice uh, PDF there and we'll probably pull out uh, some sort of cheat sheet or tip sheet from some information that we had in this podcast episode as well. So as always, if you like these episodes, you can go to iTunes, you can rate and review there. Give us a shout out at Cheryl Theory and at GrabBlogger on Instagram or Twitter. Until next week, I'm looking forward to bringing another interview or another solo show where we're getting you results and adding value in in building your, your online business. So until then, I look forward to talking again next week. 